Good morning. morning. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. One of the things I love about Christmas is um, people find themselves singing songs with words like sin and savior in them that they never sung before. You ever notice that? They're singing along some Christmas carol and they find out they're singing about a savior who died for them. That's good. Well, this is the time of the year when uh, the preacher gets up and says something like, what's the real meaning of Christmas or what's the true meaning of Christmas, isn't it? You know, that's that's handled in the media all the time. Let's get back to the real meaning of Christmas. We're not going to exactly do that, but we'll we'll mention that subject to begin with, just to clarify some things. You've noticed in the discussions, what is Christmas all about? Um, First of all, it used to be that it was, uh, as Ron said in his prayer, the celebration of the birth of Christ. That's kind of disappearing nowadays with the x in christmas crossing out christ for example uh and so it often then kind of lapses into well you know uh we should all be exhibiting christian love and kindness for a few weeks you know that's the spirit of christmas right isn't that isn't that correct yeah but then you drop jesus and it's just the general spirit of christmas and then uh, there's not even the spirit of Christmas. It's just a great time. I get the day off work, you know, and uh, have a good time, parties, family, whatever. No, those, aren't, those aren't bad things. I'm just saying it's kind of a floating, uh, a moving target as far as the true meaning of Christmas. The problem with it is, brace yourself, the word Christmas is not in the Bible. It's an invention of people. And we're not sure when it started. It was a long time ago, four or 500 A.D. And we're not sure that even then it really had Christian meanings. It, it very well could have come out of uh, pagan practices. We don't know. But uh, it's one day a year, and uh, everyone is invited to celebrate it, Christian or not. In fact, they do because they get the day off. The interesting thing is that Uh, There's no mention of a holiday in the Bible about remembering the birth of Christ. Now, there is a mention of uh, a celebration, and it's weekly. It's the Lord's Supper. And Jesus himself commanded that. And it's interesting to contrast the two, the command of the Lord and this holiday that has uh, been invented christ's command to remember him is is just that it's not an optional thing it's command uh second it's interesting that uh, at christmas his birth is celebrated but what's celebrated in the breaking of bread yeah his death he, he said this is my body broken for you this is my blood which was shed for you it's his death so when the Jesus, Lord Jesus told us to remember him weekly, by the way, it was, it was his death that he wanted us to think about, as we did this morning. Um, it's, and it's not just once a year, it's once a day. 
uh, pardon, pardon me, once a week. And it's only for believers. He only intended it for those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, there aren't rituals where people go and get a wafer or a piece of bread and they call it communion. That doesn't mean that it is. Just like you can get somebody wet and call it baptism. But that doesn't make it real baptism. So for true believers, we remember the Lord weekly. But actually, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, do you remember him only once a week? Do you only think about him once a week? No, it's a daily thing. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross. How often? Daily. And follow me. Yeah, daily. And you know what that's like if you're a believer. In fact, it's not just kind of once a day. Paul put it beautifully when he said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. That's that's not... That's continuous. He said it in another place, for me to live is Christ. And if you know the Lord Jesus, you know what that means. And it makes sense. I mean, he only died for me, you know, to save me from hell. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. Okay, so having done that, how do we talk about Christmas? Well, what we're going to do, we're going to ask this morning, what's so wonderful about the birth of Jesus? We'll take our cue from Christmas and the birth of Christ, and we're going to say, what's the big deal? What's so wonderful about the birth of Jesus? We're going to start here in John chapter 1, and just begin with one verse, verse 14. This is uh, a summary of the Christmas story. Not a text you're used to reading, but that's what it's talking about. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You you catch that? The word was made flesh. That's Bethlehem. Now you're sitting there saying, the word. What a strange title. What is that? Or who is that? Well, we suspect that it's a person because it says he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So to find out who that is, turn back to the very beginning of that book, John, the Gospel of John. And look at verse one. In the beginning was the word. So we're going to find out what or who this word is. And the word was with God. Okay. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him. Nothing was made that was made. Wow. He dwelt among us and it's God. I want you to think about that now. We say those words and it's like, oh yeah, Jesus was God. Hello? There was a man who walked among us and it was God in the flesh. Think about that. That's incredible. 
the infinite God, whom heaven and earth can't contain, became a man. So uh, this birth of Jesus wasn't just anybody, not just a great man. This is God come in the flesh. Wow. So uh, I think we could list that as wonderful thing number one. Huh? This one who was born was God. Wow. It says here that he created all things. This is all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. It's by the way, it's, it's so nice being a Christian and reading the Bible. And not have to memorize all the exceptions to things. You know what I mean by that? Here, it doesn't say he made most things, but then he didn't make this, this, and this, and that, and you know, and you have to remember what there are. The Bible's full of superlatives generally when it comes to who God is and what he's done. So it's great. Jesus made all things. Okay? And it includes everybody here. You say, well, he didn't make those chairs. Well, no, but he made the elements that created the chairs that were used. If we make anything, we start with something to begin with and fashion it into something. We don't create things. Okay. Man does not create anything. He takes something that God already created and at best simply turns it into something else. Okay. Jesus alone starts with nothing and makes everything. No exceptions. Now, uh, somebody may be sitting here and they say, um, well, wait a minute. It says all things were made through him. Hold it a second. That's a weak word. Let me uh, give you Colossians chapter one, because there's more than just that one preposition used to describe the creation. Talking about this one who was born in Bethlehem again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him were all things created. Okay? There's the word you want. It means he did it. Right? If you say they were created by him, it means he's the guy that made them. Uh, all things on earth, visible and invisible, etc. All things were created through him. Second preposition. And there's another one. For him. What does that mean? For him. All things were created for Jesus. That means there was a reason for things to come into being and it was for him. That includes you. Does that surprise you? I wasn't created to go out and have a good time just by myself and forget God. You and I were created for him. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. And uh, there's more. He is before all things and in him all things consist. By the way, the phrase all things in those two, uh, three verses occur four times. There, isn't that great? All things. We don't have to worry about, you know, what is and what isn't. The Bible is wonderful that way. Uh, there are a lot of places where it's great that there are no exceptions. For example, or, or, or a superlative, the salvation that Jesus offers is eternal. That means forever. No exceptions. It doesn't run out. Uh, there's no conditions on it. When we pray, it says, in everything by prayer and supplication. Isn't that great? 
to be able to pray about everything. Imagine if it said in the Bible, you could pray about this, but no, sorry, you can't pray about that. Wouldn't that be terrible? His provision for us, no good thing will he withhold. If it said some good things he withholds, you know, you'd be wondering what they were and what am I missing out on? Life's difficulties. Paul puts it this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that doesn't mean you can go out and lift up a car. He's not talking. Well, you could if it was God's will. What he means is no matter what comes into my life, because I have Christ, I can do all things. I can face any situation. All things. And of course, his love. Nothing. There's another uh, pure, absolute word. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We take these kind of things for granted, you know. It almost sounds boring because it's always all or nothing or or everything or something. Praise God. Man. Okay, so we clarified that. By him, all things. That means he's the one that created all things. Through him. It simply means uh, he didn't start with something and then turn it into something else. It means if there's anything that exists, it came literally from him. He created it out of nothing. He is the originator of it. And for him, he is the object. Okay. Now, uh, let's answer a little question here. I, I know when you first read this, why is Jesus called the word? It sounds kind of strange, you know, not a very magnificent title, actually. But it's perfect to describe who he is, who the one that was born in Bethlehem is. Remember what it said in the first verse. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Do you understand that? I don't. The word was with God. Okay, God's here, and here's the word. But wait a minute, it says the word was God. Well, it's explained very simply, and the rest of the scripture supports this. God exists as three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if that bothers you, well, really, it should bother you that you're only one person. Because God was first. Okay? Doesn't bother me at all. That makes sense. God is who he is. There's one God. But God is three persons. And that's how it can say that the word, the son of God, that's who it's talking about, was with God. But he also was God, fully God, just as fully God as the father is and the Holy Spirit is God. Why then doesn't he just say the son? He uses the word, the word for a very important reason. Within the persons of the Godhead, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit It is the Son who expresses God to his creation. Uh, Later, it's going to say, no man has seen God at any time. And that's true. No one's ever seen God, not even the angels. But the Son of God has expressed him to us. Isn't that cool? You couldn't, you can't see God. You know, you don't look at him with with uh, reflected light rays the way you do the things in this room. He's not physical. He's spirit, as Jesus said in chapter 4. 
Oh, how are we going to know what God is like then? Well, imagine if he becomes a person and, and walks and talks. Isn't that cool? You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Watch him act. Listen to his words. This is God as a man. Isn't it great? It's not an accident, by the way, that we're people and that Jesus became a man. And we understand people. And we can look at Jesus, even today, in the Bible now, and we can see God living. We can see his character. Isn't that great? In fact, that's, that's uh, what these other words in the other verses we're talking about. It says he is the image of the invisible God. It means, again, the one that presents God to us. By the way, if you didn't catch the meaning of the word, the word, let me explain it this way. A word, when I, I'm speaking right now, I'm using words, okay? I'm thinking thoughts up here right now. If I just stood up here and thought my sermon, we wouldn't get very far, would we? I've got to put it into words. And as soon as I speak, you, you've seen the invisible, you see. I've expressed to you what you couldn't see before. Now, that's why Jesus is called the Word. You can't see God. You can't see what He's like. If you were to behold Him in His glory, you'd be annihilated. Okay? But Jesus expresses God to us so we can actually see what God is like. Later, uh, just before His crucifixion, Philip uh, he gets tired of Jesus talking about the Father, the Father, the Father. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and, the, and that's fine. That'll take care of it. Whoever this is, show him to us. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long with you? He who has seen me has seen the Father. You see. You see Jesus, you hear him speak, you watch him act, you see him interact with the poor, with the blind, with the lepers, with the Pharisees and the scribes, you see God in action 24 hours a day. So that's wonderful thing, number two. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, became a man so that we could see God. Okay, so we can understand him better. It's great. God has now walked around on this planet just like you and me. And what he did and said are recorded in here. Now, we weren't there firsthand, but we can read about it. And the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, will help you understand exactly what he said and what he meant and what he did in here. Okay. Um, We're not going to do a lot of flipping. I'll just quote the verses that we're going to look elsewhere. We're going to turn to John 3, just a real quick right turn. And read verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Okay, let me give you the context here. This is uh, the the night when Nicodemus, the uh, Pharisee, came to Jesus secretly because he's afraid of his friends getting down on him if they find out he's visiting Jesus. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't exactly know how to 
begin the conversation with Jesus. So he just says, uh, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God and so on. And it's it's really not going anywhere. So Jesus quickly takes over the conversation and says, truly, I say to you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How would you like that? Huh? You know, you're here to have this religious discussion and this guy looks at you and says, I tell you right now, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Whoa. Now, born again is a much abused phrase nowadays. Everybody and everything is born again nowadays. This is the first time it occurs. Jesus took something that physically doesn't make any sense. And that's why Nicodemus is confused, by the way. You're going to be born once. Well, he's giving the key to going to heaven, by the way. Do you know that? Jesus said that unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. You have to become a new person all over again. Can you do that? Can you make that happen to yourself? Now, you, make, you may make some nice resolutions and try to stick to them, but you're still the same old guy or the same old gal. Only God can make a new person. And that's what Jesus is telling him. He's sitting there thinking, I just keep the law, you know, and I'll be okay. And he's taking it out of his hands and showing him how helpless he is. You got to be born again, Nicodemus. And so there's, there's some exchanges here. And poor Nicodemus, obviously he's lost. Jesus is not picking on this guy. He's, he's trying to break him out of his shell. You see, Get him out of his old traditions and his wrong way of thinking. That's why he's talking this way. But then he gets to this point where he says the verse we just read. Jesus is speaking here and says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Who is he talking about? Himself. You got that? He's the Son of Man. That's his title. And he says... He's the only one who's ascended into heaven. Do you know anybody that's ever ascended into heaven? Come back to tell about it? Yeah, I went to heaven. Let me tell you about it. No. Jesus says no one has done that. But he has. In fact, he says the one who came down from heaven. That's him. This, we're reading this because it's a, a key to his birth. People love crashes. Part of the reason, not everybody, but I think a lot of people uh, who are not excited about Christianity love crashes because Jesus is so helpless and non-threatening. You know, there he is, his little pink baby, you know, laying there in the straw. And he's, you don't have to worry about him. He's just an infant, you know. And he was born, you know, that's when he started. Just like everybody else, just like you and me. When we're born, that's when we begin our lives. Actually, nine months earlier, to be correct about it. And Jesus is saying here, I didn't start in Bethlehem. I came here from someplace else. (laughs) Heaven. I came down from heaven. You got that? He didn't start there. Of course, this makes sense in what we said earlier about him being God. He deliberately came and became a man he purposed it he chose to do that like uh, eric was telling me that the shorkin family went up to the mountains and went skiing they were here the mountains were there so they went from here to there maybe other people went other places jesus came from heaven to earth deliberately 
And in the process, he was born and became a man so that when he was here, he was walking around as a man. He was still God. He can't stop being God. He can't stop being who he is. But he's fully man and fully God. The purpose of this is that he might do things he could not otherwise do. If he came as God, as you're going to see, he'd be no help to us at all. But because he comes as a man, he can do wonderful things for us. For example, show us what God is like. We already saw that. But the point is, it was a deliberate. He came from there to here. You got that? And sometimes we kind of lapse into the, you know, little soft pink baby. And that's where Jesus started. No. Okay. So the third wonderful thing is he wasn't just born. He came to earth from heaven. And now, uh, maybe when you read your Bible, uh, you'll pick up on some things you may not have thought about before, particularly in the Gospel of John. Remember, believers, most of you know this, I think, the four Gospels, they're there for a reason. They complement each other perfectly to describe the life of Christ. But each one stresses a different aspect of the Lord himself. Matthew stresses his, he's king. Mark, he's a servant. Luke the perfect man, and John, God, his deity. And it's in the Gospel of John where you see him say this over and over again. I came to do something. And I think we read those those verses and we think, oh, that's right, he was up in Galilee and now he's down in Judea. He he came from there. No, he's talking as God. And when he says, I came to do something, he's saying, I came from heaven to earth to do such and such okay so when you see that phrase in john i am come or i came sometimes he says i came into the world to do such and such there it's obvious and that's uh going to be some of the wonderful things here because whenever he says in john i came to do such and such um he means i came from heaven okay uh, for example, um, we saw it here in John 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus, by the way, right? No one has ascended into heaven except he who came down from heaven. By the way, did you notice, except the Son of Man who is in heaven? Wasn't he standing there talking to Nicodemus? Yeah. But he's also in heaven. Why? Because he's God. Well, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Okay. It's like later when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was existing at the time he said those words, but he was also existing before Abraham. Get used to grammar being thrown out the window when you hear Jesus talk. He has to. Okay. Uh, uh, In John 16, he says this, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. There it is again. All right. Uh, wonderful thing number four, we're, gonna, we're just going to say it. He came to teach us the truth. This is the uh, fourth wonderful thing about the birth of Christ. He says this in John chapter 18, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. There it is again. Can you? What was the reason you were born? Why did you get born? Why did you come into the world? 